0: Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 5 through 11. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne... Who lives forever and ever The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever they cast their throu- their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created john continues his description of what he saw when he was taken in the spirit to the throne of god and he describes at the very beginning of this that coming from the throne of God was rumblings, flashes of lightning and thunder. And folks, as I've been trying to explain to you, and I hope it's starting to happen for you as well as you grow in your study of the word of God. As you read passages of scripture, there's going to be times that all of a sudden the spirit of God's going to bring you back in your mind to other passages that deal with that or are similar. And as I was just beginning to kind of pray over, okay, God, what do you want me to pull out from here? Where do we go from here? And I've never really dealt with the rumblings and the flashes of lightning and the thunder that come from the throne of God. And it actually caught me off guard a little bit because it reminded me of a time when I heard about God's rumblings and flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. Does anybody else remember what that is? Well, actually, in Acts 2, there was a mighty rushing wind But go with me to Exodus chapter 19. Immediately it brought my mind to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 verses 1 through 25. When God appears to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai, right before the giving of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 19 verses 1 through 25, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples." For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Real quickly, you see, God's purpose was to use the nation of Israel to reveal himself to the rest of the world. That's why he says you can be to me a kingdom of priests. You're going to represent me to the rest of the world. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now the Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top, called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord got, Lord said to Moses, "Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them." And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he told them. So when I read there in Revelation chapter four, that when John is taken in the spirit into the throne room of God, and he saw the throne of God. And we dealt last week with the 24 elders around the throne. But what he saw coming from the throne was rumblings and flashes of lightning and thunder. Immediately, my brain said, that's the exact same thing that happened when he came down on Mount Sinai. There was rumblings and flashes of lightning and thunder. And it was a fearful thing. And I, my first reaction was to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Because of Jesus, we shouldn't have this fearful thing. We shouldn't have this thunder and lightning and flashes of thunder you know, coming from, uh, the, from the throne. And God spoke to my heart and he said, Jim, I haven't changed. I'm still holy. And that's why when I appeared to these people, I revealed myself in this way that they would stay away. Well, then my brain says, well, okay, hang on for a second. Okay, I'm with you there. And I can see that God is still holy. So therefore the rumblings and the flashes of lightning and all that. But how come Moses and Aaron were able to go up onto the mountain? Does anybody have an answer for that? How come Moses and Aaron were allowed to come up when no one else was allowed to go anywhere near or even touch it or they were going to be killed? How come Moses and Aaron were allowed to go up onto the mountain? Because God declared them righteous. Folks, and that's what I want you to hear. Go to Romans chapter 4. All along, through every dispensation, through every time period, as we've been saying, salvation has been by faith alone in what God has said and what his provision was for their sin. You are only righteous if God declares you righteous. You're not righteous because of anything you do. You're righteous because God declares you righteous. And he gives righteousness to those who have faith. In Romans chapter 4. Listen to verses 1 through 8. What what then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? In other words, what did he do do in his own strength? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6 they're quoting from. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those, David says in Psalm 32, by the way, in verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. Why were Moses and alla- Aaron allowed up on that mountain? Because God had declared them righteous and he had declared them worthy. And they were able to come into his presence. Romans, look at chapter 5. Look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Those of us who have put faith in Jesus Christ and have been given righteousness by God, sealed by his spirit living within us, we have been made, just like Moses and Aaron, able to go into the presence of God. We're able to be in his, in his righteousness, if you will, because he's declared us so because of Jesus Christ. <laughs> then why does we, John see this picture of the rumblings and the lightning and the flashes of thunder coming from the throne? The answer is because he hasn't changed. The only way anybody's going to be able to be in his presence, like those 24 elders around the throne like John himself there in the presence of God, is if God has declared them righteous because of their faith. Folks, stop trying to get better in order to be considered righteous in God's eyes and receive His righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ. Stop trying to get better by becoming, in your mind, more sanctified by doing right things and receive the sanctification that God does by His Spirit. It's all to be received by faith. And then he reminded me of Hebrews chapter 12. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. You'll see the balance of the two. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verses 18 to 29. The Hebrew writer says, For you, talking to believers, Have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice whose words made the ears beg that no further messages be spoken to them. I don't know if you know this, but if you were to further along study in that whole example, you'll find that when God spoke to Moses, the people said, "Um, Moses, from now on, just have God talk to you, and then you tell us what he says. Just hearing his voice scares us too much. The sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight of, that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to the Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembling of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship and reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Why does John, when he's there, taken into the presence of God, see the rumblings and the lightning and the flashing of thunder? The same thing that God revealed himself with on Mount Sinai? It's because, listen, God hasn't changed. Sin is still sin. His holiness is still holy. And anyone that tries to get in God's presence apart from him declaring them righteous will be put to death by God. Kind of silly now, all these people that talk about, Oh yeah, one day when I stand before the big guy upstairs. (laughs) They have no idea. They have no idea. We are only able to be in his presence because we've been declared righteous because of Jesus Christ, not because of anything we've done. God hasn't all of a sudden become this soft grandfather to you. He's still holy. He's still holy. And we just need to continually thank him for the fact that we're able to be in his presence and able to spend eternity with him because of what he has done, not because of anything we've done. And we need to warn those who don't know him, he hasn't changed he hasn't changed. Then as you keep reading, go back to Revelation chapter 4, and look at verse, the end of verse uh, 5 there. It says, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now again, this is why it's important for us to know what the scripture says to be able to interpret the scripture you could read lots of stuff that the people would maybe put on the internet to say what this represents again if the scripture doesn't say what it represents take it literal but here the scripture tells us what it represents the seven torches represent what? the seven spirits of God. Now hang on for a second again many of you probably read that and you go in your brain like hang on for a second I thought God was one but well, actually, this is where knowing the Old Testament would make, a lot, make Revelation make a whole lot more sense. Go with me real quick to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Too many people have tried to interpret the book of Revelation just by what we know about the church age. We try to read the church into the book of Revelation, and that's where they get all these weird theories and speculations as to this, that, and the other. But if you were steeped in your understanding of the Old Testament if you were steeped in your understanding of God's purpose for the nation of Israel and his plan to reveal himself to them and then through them, if you understood that everything's going to culminate back with the nation of Israel and what he finishes here on the earth and how he's going to set up his kingdom from Jerusalem, if you had an understanding of all that God had said already to the nation of Israel, the book of Revelation would make a whole lot more sense to you. Because in Isaiah chapter 11, we've already seen the seven spirits of God described Isaiah chapter 11, look at verses 1 through 9. There shall come forth a shoot shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or what what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here is we see a description of the millennial kingdom when Jesus comes and rules and reigns on the earth in righteousness how things are going to be when the animals aren't going to be trying to eat each other anymore and a kid can play in a cobra hole. And like I said before, I trust the Lord, but buddy, that's going to be a hard thing for me to stick my hand in that hole because of all that I, I can't stand snakes. I just, I'm just, but I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. But look closely. This shoot from the stump of Jesse, the branch from his roots. Who is this? Who's the one that came from Jesse? Jesus. Who actually came, who was one of Jesse's sons? David, David. And from his lineage came the Messiah, which was Jesus. But look at how this one who's going to come from Jesse through David is described. And by the way, if you don't mind making little notes in your Bible, it's made it easier for me. I put a little number one over the spirit of the Lord, so rest on him. There's one spirit. The spirit of wisdom, two. Understanding, that's three. Spirit of counsel, four. Might, five. Spirit of knowledge, six. And the fear of the Lord, seven. Do you see it? We've already had pictured to us the fact that God is manifested by seven spirits. And as many people understand, God has many times throughout the scriptures used the number seven to talk about completion and perfection on six days, he created the world, and on the seventh day, he rested when he completed had completed his work. All the way through, and here in this passage, we've already seen that the Spirit of the Lord, actually the seven spirits of God, are going to be in this individual who comes from Jesse. I had a conversation years ago when I was a pastor in Chicago with a man who was a Jew, And he wanted to know about Jesus. But he said, I only want to talk to you using the Old Testament. You Christians believe in the New Testament. We Jews do not believe in the New Testament. I only want you to use the Old Testament. I said, no problem. And we would debate back and forth via the email uh, years ago in Chicago as to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And he sent me an email one day. And this was his statement. He said, nowhere, nowhere in Scripture Does the Bible say that the Messiah would be God? You believe Jesus is God. Nowhere does the Old Testament prophecy say that the Messiah would be God. Does anybody know a place where it says he'd be God? You just read it. You just read it. And also, as you just said, Sheila, there's another one in Isaiah 9, 6, and it can't be any more clear. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What's the next name? Almighty God. Interestingly enough, and I don't know whether or not the man ever came to faith or not, that was the last conversation we had as I sent this back to him, saying, look, it all along said that he would be God. So I'm going to explain more about the seven spirits at the end of our study. So just stick with me, because let's be honest. The whole idea of seeing that there are seven spirits of God now, a little confusing, isn't it? Wait a minute, I thought he had one. I thought, I thought the hero of Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We, we know, even though we don't fully comprehend it, he's manifested himself in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But now we've got these seven spirits of God. Well, we know now there's different types that represent or the different aspects of the seven spirits we see from Isaiah. I'll explain it some more near the end of our study. But I need to continue on and take a look at these four living creatures. John describes four living creatures around the throne of God. And if you know, or I'm going to help you know if you don't, they looked almost exactly like the four living creatures that Ezekiel saw when he was shown God, God's presence as well. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel was taken into the presence of God as well, just like John was. And Ezekiel wrote about what he saw. And Ezekiel saw these four living creatures. Ezekiel chapter 1, starting in verse 4. He's by the river Kabar, and I, as I looked behold a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire as it were gleaming metal, and from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance, they had human likenesses, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings, their legs were straight, And the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on the four four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each of them went straight forward, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had a face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Sound familiar? Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each one which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward, where whoever the spirit would go, they went, and without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro, like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures for each of the four of them. One for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of barrel, And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted them to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When when those went, these went. And when those those, those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures there was the likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystal. Does that sound familiar? Spread out one above, above their heads. And under the expanse their wings were stretched out straight one toward the other. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they lit down their wings." And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads when they stood still and they lit down their wings. And above the expanse, remember the sea of crystal. Above the expanse over their heads there was a likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist. I saw as it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around and downward from what had the appearance of his waist I saw as it were the appearance of fire and there was brightness around him like the appearance of a bowl that is in the cloud on the day of rain John saw he saw the rainbow around the throne here now Ezekiel sees the rainbow around the throne so was the appearance of the brightness all around such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord and when I saw it I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Jump with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. I'm sorry, not chapter 28, chapter 10. We'll get to 28 in a little bit. Ezekiel chapter 10. Verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, there appeared above them something like sapphire, an appearance like a throne. And he said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim, and scatter them over the city. And he went in before my eyes. By the way, has anybody caught how Ezekiel is now describing the four living creatures? He hasn't said four living creatures here this time, did he? What does he say? Cherubim. Cherubim. And he went in before my eyes. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the house when the man went in. And a cloud filled the inner court, and the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the house. And the house was filled with a cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. And when he commanded the man clothed in linen, take fire from between the whirling wheels. And between the cherubim, he went in and stood beside a wheel. And a cherub stretched out his hand from between the cherubim to the fire that was between the cherubim. And he took some of it and put it in the hands of the man clothed in linen, who took it and went out. The cherubim appeared to have the form of a human hand under their wings. And I looked, and behold, there were four wheels beside the cherubim, one beside each cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was like sparkling barrel. And as for their appearance, the four had the same likeness as if it were a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions, without turning as they went. But in whatever direction the front wheel faced, the others followed, and without turning as they went. And their whole body, their rims, and their spokes, and their wings, and the wheels, were all full of eyes all around. The wheel that had the four of them had, sorry, the wheels that the four of them had, as for the wheels they were were called in my hearing, the whirling wheels. And every one had four faces. The first, the face was that of a cherub. The second, the face of a human face. The third, the face of a lion. The fourth, the face of an eagle. And the cherubim mounted up. These were the living creatures that I saw by the cherub canal. Do you see how it ties together? And when the cherubim went, the wheels went beside them. And when, when the cherubim lifted up their wings to mount up from the earth, the wheels did not turn from beside them. When they stood still, these stood still. And when they mounted, up, the mount, they mounted up, these mounted up with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in them. Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord. And the glory of God of Israel was over them. These were the four living creatures that I saw underneath the God of Israel by the Kebar Canal. And I knew that they were the cherubim. Each had four faces and each four wings. And underneath their wings, the likenesses of human hands. And as for the likenesses of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I had seen by the Kebar Canal. Each one of them went straight forward. Now if you've been following, and I know this is kind of hard if this is the first time you've seen this, because this is one of those things you have to study to allow it to kind of sink in. Some of you might have caught... Two slight discrepancies between Ezekiel, what he sees, and what John sees in Revelation. One of the discrepancies between what Ezekiel sees and what John sees is that Ezekiel sees these cherubim or these four-living creatures having four wings. John sees them as having six wings. Stick with me; we'll deal with that in a little bit. Ezekiel sees that they each have four faces: face of a man, a face of an ox, a face of a lion, and face of an eagle, depending on which side. The face was showing. John sees them as each having an individual face, one of a man, one of an ox, one of a lion, one of an eagle. Again, stick with me to the end, and I'll help you understand the discrepancies in just a little bit. But I don't want to get bogged down in the discrepancies. But it's very clear that what John sees is what Ezekiel has already seen, because they're describing the exact same thing. The four living creatures are there and they're around the presence of God, around his throne. John sees them as around. John's description is four, is like, I don't know how many, but concentric circles as the throne and the 24 elders and the sea of glass and the four living creatures. They're seen in concentric circles all the way out. Ezekiel sees them as underneath the sea of glass, moving beneath the throne, and above them was the sea of glass and the throne of God above that. Uh, the cherubim are different, are different from the realm of angels we know as seraphim. Some of you remember the old song, cherubim and seraphim falling down before him. If you were to look later on, we don't have time tonight for a amount that we need to cover. If you were to look at um, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, you'll see that when Isaiah was taken in spirit, also into the presence of God, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. and the throne of, uh, was there, and, and, and his robe filled the temple, and when he spoke, the thresholds shook. And you know Isaiah said, Woe well, unto me I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I've seen the Lord. And then the Bible says, A seraphim, by the way, with six wings, come and takes the tongs and takes coals from the altar and touches his lips. And the Bible's very clear that it's a seraphim, which was above the throne of God, which touched his lips. Now some would say, Well then, what John sees a seraphim, because they have six wings. No, it's very clear that what he sees are the cherubim. As for the discrepancies, stick with me. We've also seen that the seraphim and the cherubim have different roles. You'll see that the seraphim, if you were to do a study, and we're not going to take the time to go all into that, but if you want to, you can. If you do a study, you'll find that the seraphim have to deal with the holiness of God and the preserving of his holiness. But the cherubim have a dual role. The cherubim, if you do a study, and I'm going to give you just a brief study of this tonight, The cherubim's role is that of guarding and judgment. Their roles are that of guarding and of judgment. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Look at verses 22 through 24. This is right after Adam and Eve have eaten from the tree, they're not supposed to, they're being removed from the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has come like one of us, and knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed what? Cherubim. Cherubim. Cherub is one, cherubim is plural, and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. By the way, interestingly enough, the cherubim were there to guard the garden to keep man from being able to go and eat from the tree of life. And if you were to do a study, you'll find that in that veil that was torn in the temple from the top to the bottom when Jesus was crucified, on that veil was embroidered stitched cherubim. If you were to look at 1 Kings chapter 8, you'll find that on the Ark of God, on the top cover, the angels that cover and touch their wings above the Ark of the Covenant are cherubim. Go Ezekiel again, though, and look at chapter 28. You'll find that Satan, at one time, was one of these cherubim. Ezekiel chapter 28, look at verses 11 through 17. Moreover, the word of the Lord, Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfection and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings on the day that you were created. They were prepared. You were an anointed, what? Guardian, cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. Didn't we read about that? You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. The cherubim, part of their role is guarding. At the same time, we also will see a little bit later, but I'll just reference it right now. That was you're going to see, what we saw in Ezekiel chapter 10... When God was to bring judgment he sent some of the uh, a man a man clothed in linen in amongst the cherubim and he was to take some of the fire from amongst them and it was going to be cast on the earth and actually you'll see that the cherubim handed it to him. Go with me real quick to Revelation chapter 15. You'll see it in verse six. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter six, when we get there sometime in 2016. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, when we get to Revelation six, you will see that when the, the horses come out and the seals are open, the first living creature is the one who says come. And then when the next seal is open, the next living creature is the one who says come. And when these judgments come on the earth, God is using the living creatures to bring judgment. In Revelation chapter 15, look at verse 7. Revelation 15, verse 7. We'll get to this later on, but I want you to see it. Revelation 15, verse 7, it says, And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels the seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Who hands the seven angels these seven last plagues of God? One of the living creatures. One of the four living creatures, which is the cherubim. Now, as for the slight discrepancies as to how the many faces, uh, how many wings and how many faces, the best answer is, listen closely. I'm going to read this to you again. As for the slight discrepancies as to how many wings and how many faces, the best answer is to say there is an answer. And any answer we would give would be a guess. I could come up with plausible explanations that make you all feel good and go home. Most of you probably. But as I prayed over it and as I wrestled with it and I studied it for hours, I came to the conclusion after reading all these different people's ideas as to why they had four here and six here. They're not the same thing as the seraphim. We can't make them. They are obviously the cherubim that John sees. And why that Ezekiel sees them each having four faces and John only sees them having one. There is an answer. But any answer that one would give would be a guess. Because the scripture doesn't say. And it also leads to where I'm going. Don't let the discrepancies cause you to miss something very important in our text. Go back to Revelation chapter 4. In our fleshly desire... To figure everything out. To know everything. And to have it make sense before we trust it in faith. Or use discrepancies in our desire to try to disprove things. We miss out on some some truths here. Revelation chapter 4. Look at the context in verses 9 through 11. And whenever the four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever... (laughs) The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him, who lives forever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, listen to what the 24 elders say whenever the living creatures give glory to God. They say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you, what? Created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. The four living creatures are also a continual manifestation of the glory of God's creation, which is always in His presence. That's why they have the face of a man, and an ox, and a lion, and an eagle. What is before God is His creation. And folks, I'm going to take you through a brief, but hopefully kind of cool, study real quick as to the fact that God uses his creation as one of the highest ways that he uses to reveal himself and his glory to man. And the four living creatures which represent his creation of man and domestic animals and the wild animals and flying things, they are continual manifestation. Oh, the cherubim. Oh, and they have guardian roles, and they have judgment roles. But they also, at the same time, are a continual manifestation of God's creative glory and what He's revealed through creation. Because whenever the full living creatures give glory to God, the 24 elders say, you created everything. And by your will, they were created. And I want to take you back now on a study from scriptures that have been saying all along, you want to know who God is? Look at creation. And God seems to be satisfied with using that alone as his proof for his existence. Have you ever noticed that nowhere does the Bible try to prove the existence of God? It just starts off with, in the beginning, God did what? Created. Created. The Bible doesn't try to prove God's existence. Oh, but it does tell us something in Romans chapter 1. Go to verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And then it goes on and says, oh, the new God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became fueled in their thinking and their foolish hearts became darkened and they started to worship the things that were created instead of the creator. So what does the Bible say here? God's already revealed to the whole world. They're all without excuse that he exists. His divine nature, his eternal attributes have been already clearly seen. How? Through what's been made. Go to Matthew chapter 6. I've never looked at it this way until I was putting together this study. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verses 25 through 30. Look at how Jesus uses creation to teach his children how to trust God. Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 30. Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life or what you'll eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. You need help with this? Look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Why don't you look at the lilies of the field? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you even Solomon, all his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field today, which is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you with little faith? Isn't that interesting how God uses creation to calm us down when we got worried about whether or not we're going to have stuff to take care of ourselves? He says, Look, at creation. I'm not going to take the time to have you turn there. Just write this down in your notes and go read it for yourself on your own. It is a cool study. But in Job chapter 38 and 39, after Job has been begging for his time to have a face to face with God, Because he feels like God's been unjust in the suffering that he's been through. He knows it isn't because of his sin. And he wants to have a face-to-face with God. And God shows up. And God comes to Job and says, I tell you what, brace yourself like a man. In other words, the best you can, big guy. You can ask me some questions. You're free to do that. Let me ask you a couple ones first. And then God goes on for two long chapters. And all he does... To defend himself before Job is used creation. That's all he says. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where's the snow stored? Where's the mountain go give birth? Hey, you ever seen this guy, Leviathan? By the way, don't let the commentaries in your Bible build your theology. Whenever I look at a study Bible, I immediately always go to Job chapter 38 and 39 and 40 and 41. Because when you start getting to chapter 40 and 41 with Leviathan and with the behemoth, our silly commentaries say, well, that was a crocodile. (laughs) Folks, it was a fire-breathing dragon. If you look at it, you'll see it was huge. It just stirred the waters. Fire came from its mouth and its nostrils. It says it two or three times how fire came from its mouth. It wasn't a crocodile. It was a fire-breathing dragon. Which was an animal created by God to represent Satan, which is always described as the dragon all the way through even to the end. And who's the one that killed Leviathan? Man couldn't touch him. The Bible actually says if you do a study of the word Leviathan, you'll find that God killed Leviathan. And he even made animals that represented spiritual things. So here, Job says, I want to have a talk with God. God says, you can have your talk. But I want you just to answer me a few questions. And all he does is use creation to prove who he is. And by the time God is asking him questions and done asking him questions and using creation to show his glory, Job says, I spoke about things that I had no knowledge. And I shut my mouth. And I repent in dust and ashes. Oh, we could fight over the discrepancies of the four living creatures, but we would miss. The fact that they are a physical manifestation of the glory of God as revealed through his creation. Let me show you one more passage. Go to Psalm 19. Look at verses 1 through 6. Whenever the Bible tries to say that God exists, all it does is use creation. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words where whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Paul I mean, yeah, Paul quotes from this in Romans chapter ten. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the ends of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The heavens declare the glory of God. Has anybody seen it yet? Has anybody caught on to something? If you haven't, Let me show you what God opened my eyes to as I was doing this study. The more God reveals about himself, the more mysterious he becomes. Has anybody caught that part of who God is yet? We got this foolish notion that as soon as we take all the classes, as soon as we do all the discipleship programs and get all the diplomas, that we're gonna reach this level of knowledge. Actually, we look at people like myself, or people that have a degree, who have studied the Bible, and Reverend, or Dr. So-and-so, and we think, these people know more about God than me. Guess Let me tell you something. The more I get to know about God, the less I know about God. The bigger He gets. All the way through Scripture, you'll see this happening over and over When you see Jesus get in the boat with the disciples after he spoke to the wind and the waves. Actually, he's been in the boat with them. And they are all freaked out. And he says to the wind and the waves, be still. And the Bible actually says the wind and the waves didn't calm down. They went, yes, sir. Seriously, in the Greek, that's how it reads. They went, yes, sir. You look at the scriptures, you'll see the disciples' immediate reaction is, who is this? That's what it says. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. John, who had walked with Jesus and was close to Jesus and leaned on his breast at the Lord's Supper, the one he described himself simply as the one whom Jesus loved. When Jesus shows up on the, mount, uh, the Isle of Patmos there while well, he's exiled, if you were to go back and look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 18, he says he heard the voice of the one speaking like a trumpet, and he turned around, and as you'll see, we don't have time to turn there, he turns, wow, we got to see it. I want you to see. It. Go to Revelation chapter one. I'll read it fast. <laughs> I, John, your brother and partner in tribulate the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he had seven styled seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I said, hey, buddy! <laughs> Good to see you again. (laughs) Haven't seen you in a while. What did he do? I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Too many people have used the passage in 1 John where it says when we, he reveals himself, we'll be like him for we'll see him as he is. To believe that one day when we get to heaven, we'll understand everything. No, you won't. Because if you understand everything, that makes you omniscient and only God is omniscient. Right. But you know what I think the Bible starting to show us? is that for eternity, we're going to get to know him more and more and more. What is this four living creatures thing? What are these seraphim? What are these seven spirits of God? I haven't seen this before. Great. Get excited. It's actually deeper than Jim Johnson could ever explain. And if I could explain it, it wouldn't be of God. But let me just tell you something. This much I know as I've been getting into this study again, and I've been studying Revelation for years and taught it fully already. As I've been digging into it, he's been getting bigger. And my best answer is, I don't know why he saw four faces and he only saw one on each one, but they were the same. I don't know why this one had four wings, but these had six. But I can tell you this, there is an answer. And the only explanation that we could give would be a guess. But I can tell you this. It's going to be fun to find out why. Because there's so much more to who God is than we would ever, ever realize. And so be okay with not knowing. Get but excited about the fact that one day he's going to reveal more and more of himself for eternity. How many of you have ever read C.S. Lewis's writings? Has anybody read C.S. Lewis's writings? If you haven't, go find C.S. Lewis's writings. You can even just start with mere Christianity or whatever. But he's also written fictional books, the the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and and the Chronicles of Narnia, and so on. And folks, let me just tell you, C.S. Lewis had been given insight by God into a lot of deep spiritual truths. And in his Chronicles of Narnia, his description of heaven is, the further you go into it, the bigger it gets. The further you go in, the bigger it gets. And he talks about this young girl, Lucy, who beats Aslan, the lion, who represents Jesus. And she's already been in Narnia, and she's then dropped back to her planet there, Earth. And then sometime later, she's transported back into Narnia, and she sees Aslan again for the second time. And she says, you're bigger. He says, I'm not. She says, you're not? He said, no, but every year that you will grow, I'll grow. The more you get to know me, the bigger I will get, but I'm not getting bigger. And so folks, we need to be okay with the fact that the scripture doesn't tell us why John saw four wings, I'm sorry, John saw six wings and Ezekiel saw four. The scripture doesn't tell us why one saw four faces and one saw an individual face, but they saw the same thing. The scripture doesn't say, there is an answer But if anybody is teaching the book of Revelation like they've got it all figured out, run from that person. They don't know. And I don't know. And I have no problem looking you in the eye and telling you I don't know. Because when I say I do know, I want you to believe me. I don't want you to ever think Jim's making this up. If I say this is what it is, it's because I believe with all my heart. And the spirit of God within me has allowed me to say this is truth. I'm okay with saying don't have an answer. Years ago, I would have tried to come up with a plausible explanation. And I actually thought of three. Then I realized how foolish they were. (laughs) Who am I trying to explain God? And especially if he hasn't told me. Why would I waste my time with three plausible explanations when it hasn't been, thus says the Lord? Why are we satisfied with plausible explanations instead of being satisfied with, I don't know? Oh, and you know what's cool, as you'll see as we get into our study of Revelation? There are going to be times that John, in the presence of God, is asked a question, and his answer is, Sir, you know. I love that. I love that. But I want to wrap up with this tonight. You will never fully figure God out. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36 says, Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. In other words, you're never going to figure God out. Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? Who's ever been his counselor? For from him and to him and for him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. But then it goes on into chapter 12. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, and the fact that it's all about him, and he's allowed us to be a part of what he's doing, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices daily, renewing our minds, not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind, then you will know what his will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God will reveal what he wants you to do on a daily basis, but don't think for a second you've got him figured out. How many times have we said when we think we figured out what God was doing in the death of a loved one or an accident or something that happened in our loss of a job. Oh, I know what God's doing. We've just proven our ignorance because we may have figured out one aspect of what God is doing. But I can promise you he was doing something on many, many, many more levels. Some we may never know. Let me remind you of two verses. Write them down. Look at them later on. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed to us and to our children. Let me say that to you again. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed to us and to our children. Did you guess that? There's going to be stuff that only God knows and we're not to know. But well, we're to know the stuff that's been revealed. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2. Proverbs 25, verse 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter the glory of kings to search a matter out it's to God's glory to hide stuff it's to our glory to continue in the search but I want to wrap up with John chapter 17 verses 1 through 5 as much as you will never be able to figure him out you can know him John 17 verses 1 through 5 Jesus is praying right before the cross I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Look what Jesus said. This is eternal life, that they may know you. So I ask you this question. I'm not asking you this to say, have you figured God out? Because he's not knowable in that way. But do you know him? Are you able... Because he has declared you righteous to go into his presence, even though there are still rumblings and lightning and flashes of thunder. Even though he is still the same God that was so holy you couldn't even get into his presence unless he had allowed you to. And not only did he shake the earth at that time, he is one more, once more going to shake everything. And the only things that will remain will be the things of the kingdom that cannot be shaken in the spiritual realm. And those who have been given righteousness through Jesus Christ, do you know him? You're gonna find me at the end of each of these lessons probably many times asking you to make sure you're His. Because you'll see that throughout the whole book of Revelation if Jesus gives us the chance to study it the rest of the way, all even through the tribulation period, God is still giving opportunity for people to respond in faith. And I wanna give you that same opportunity. So as we close tonight, be okay with the fact of, I don't know and neither do you as to why there are discrepancies, but there's a lot that has been revealed and we need to worship Him because of it. Let's pray together. Father, thank You again for you, this time in Your Word. We thank You for the fact that as we allow Your Word to speak, we see things we didn't see before. And there are things we can know. There are things that all of a sudden make more sense. Yet at the same time, the further we get in, the more we realize we have to say, Wow, that not I don't understand that. I don't understand that. But Lord, may we be okay with it and believe that it's true because Your Word is without fault and without error. It's You. It's alive. It's living. Just because we don't understand it all doesn't mean that we can chuck it. Lord, thank you for the fact that John experienced, and we too will one day soon experience, a vision of you in such a way that we get to see you with our eyes and realize a lot of the stuff we thought we knew we didn't. That one day, like Job, when we've had issues with you because we were mad because you didn't do this or you let this person die, we are going to one day shut our mouths and repent. Because we spoke about things we didn't understand. But Father, may we be willing to be okay with the things we don't understand. Because your word showed us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that some received their children back from the dead. Some received kingdoms. Some escaped the edge of the sword. Others were tortured. Others were sawn in two. Others wandered in caves. And your word says these all were commended for their faith. May we trust you, whether the things go the way we want them to or whether they don't. Because you've already proven yourself through what you've done through Jesus on the cross on our behalf. And everything else is gravy. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.